0: This week's episode of The Talking Beat features a discussion on fentanyl. Fentanyl is prevalent in Portland, crossing all demographic boundaries. It affects all races, all socioeconomic groups, and can be a deadly choice. In this episode, Terry Wallow-Strauss from our Strategic Communications Unit talks with Lieutenant Chris Lindsay of PPB's Narcotics and Organized Crime Unit, and Eric Kilgore, founder of Henry's Uncle, a local nonprofit and host of a podcast by the same name about the life-changing effects of fentanyl. We hope you take away some important
1: information from the show. We see a lot of cases where people who purchase from a dealer and they say, oh, I thought we were buying Oxycontin or I thought we were buying Xanax. A lot of times the purchasers don't know what they're getting and they could be getting a very lethal dose of a highly, highly lethal drug.
2: Welcome to The Talking Beat, and welcome Chris and Eric today. Thank you for being here. Today's conversation is really important and serious. We're here to talk about fentanyl, how it gets on our streets and into the hands of people who may not understand that it can have deadly consequences. Eric, I really want to start with you and your story. I think it will set the stage a little bit for how important this topic is and how life-changing it can be for victims and their families. Your brother James... died by overdose in 2018, and I'm sorry for your loss. And I know that through the pain you were trying to bring awareness. Can you talk a little bit about what happened with James and what you've been doing since then.
3: Certainly. Certainly. I I want to thank everyone for um, having this conversation. It's uh, very much appreciative. Um, Yes. So my name is Eric Kilgore. I am the younger brother to James. Uh, James was my older brother by uh, almost three years. Uh, We grew up um, here in Portland, born and raised, and, um, you know, never you know, did drugs, things of that nature. Um, but it wasn't until about when James was around twenty two, twenty three, 23, when he got his first taste of, uh, Oxycontin. Um, and he didn't know how addictive it was. Um, but he liked the feeling of it. And, um, you know, so that was roughly 13 years ago when, when it was, you know, Oxycontin was still labeled as non-addictive. Um, uh, and, and about four months in um is when he realized you know what this you know what this medication is and how addictive it is and he went to my parents um and and told them um you know what was going on um He told him he was very scared of the the withdrawals because he researched them online, and uh, so they got him, from what I understand, into a Suboxone clinic um, for about 90 days uh, to taper him off. And I think just like anyone, my parents back then, and so many people to to this day, is you think once you're, you know. Clean, uh, if you want to call it that, um, you're good to go for the rest of your life. Um, and what we didn't know is, you know, addiction's a lifelong, manageable disease. And uh, so, um, you know, for about a decade, my my brother, my dad, and I, we um, had our own company. We we shared an office, and never once did I think James had an issue. I didn't know anything about it maybe till the last year when my parents finally told me, um, what was going on with James, you know, that would have been what eight, eight years prior. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it wasn't until the last month when I started, started seeing weird, um, signs of, he would just leave the office. Uh, we worked downtown here. Um, he would just kind of leave the office, uh, and just say, I need to go home and get a pen or pencil or just some random excuse just to get out of the office. And it didn't make sense to me. Um, we we my, my my father and I did confront him. I, I did raise the issue saying I, I am concerned by these excuses and, and the the behavior um uh of what was going on and, and he said no. We don't you know, he he's not using at the time. Um even the night before he he passed, just a few hours before he passed, my, my dad was concerned and, and he said no and um, just a few hours after that phone call, he he ingested what he thought was a um, uh, a thirty milligram oxycotton pill, um, but was laced with fentanyl. Um, the coroner said anywhere from forty to four hundred times a the therapeutic amount, and it just it, it rocked our world. We we had no idea fentanyl was in the street supply. I mean, all we ever heard of it was for legit medication for, you know, when you're in surgery or cancer patients, we had no idea that powerful of a drug was being, you know, laced into, into counterfeit pills. Um, you know, it was December 9th, 2018 when I found him, um, went into his condo and he was, you know, just, um, uh, between the couch and his, and his, uh, coffee table, cold, hard. I, I never, I've never experienced a dead body before. And, you know, that's my lasting image of him and an image I think that drives me, um, to, to raise awareness, um, through our, through my nonprofit Henry's uncle to, to make sure no one ever experiences that because it's just, it's, um, it, it just, it's unbearable. You know, we lost a generation from the opioid epidemic, and now we're we're rapidly losing another generation to this fentanyl epidemic, and it's it's just very scary. It's insanely scary what's happening.
2: Um, Chris, I want to bring you into the conversation. Tell us what is going on in Portland in regard to fentanyl.
1: We're seeing a pretty rapid rise in the use and the dealing uh, in fentanyl. So far in 2022, we've had my team um, has had 42. Notifications of overdose deaths, 20 of those are suspected or confirmed fentanyl or counterfeit M30 pills. The reason for this rise is that it is for a couple of reasons. Um, It's extremely cheap. Uh, It costs $1,000 to produce a kilogram of fentanyl. That's enough for 500,000 lethal doses. Uh, Powder fentanyl goes for about $1,300 an ounce. And it only takes a very, very small amount for someone to, um, get the high or the sensation they're looking for and or to overdose. So imagine taking, um, you know, an ounce of fentanyl and then taking some kind of mixer like acetaminophen, aspirin baking soda baking powder anything um and taking just a tiny tiny bit of fentanyl and mixing it together and crushing that and making a pill now what you've got is you have thousands of lethal doses that could be sold for five dollars a pop so it's extremely cheap and it's very 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 potent so you're getting a really intense and extreme high from this small pill that costs you five to ten dollars um Additionally, clandestinely produced fentanyl is now being produced in Mexico by the cartels. And they are pushing this drug along with the more traditional hard drugs because it's so cheap to make and because it is so highly addictive. They are essentially trying to get people addicted to this drug because they know they can make a lot of money off of it.
2: Well, yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. I mean, if you're killing off your clients, I mean, I don't mean to be quip, but uh, that doesn't seem to be a good... Business model? Don't they understand that that they're killing people?
1: I, I can't get in the minds of the heads of the of, of the cartel, but I, I, I will say <laughs> yeah, for course. them, I, I think I don't. If I were to wager a guess, they're not thinking that far ahead, and right now they're just making so much money off of it um, that they're just trying to push it. And it's something like I said; they can they they have you know they can mass produce it. I mean, a thousand dollars a kilogram to produce—that's nothing. Uh,
2: so I've seen the bags of the blue pills that are stamped, are they stamped M30? Yes. I just want people to be aware of what, what yeah. it looks like. Is that, is that all you're seeing, that particular type?
1: That is the most common we're seeing are the stamped M30s, and those are, those are essentially what those are, is they're counterfeit OxyContin pills. So in the M stands for milligram, 30 milligram um, OxyContin. What's really important that needs to be brought up is that a lot of times when someone is buying Fentanyl, they think they're buying something else. So, we just had uh, a recent case, and I can't get too far into the details on it, but I will say that some of the statements we took from people who had purchased from this particular dealer said, We thought we were ordering perks. Well, they thought they were ordering Percocet. Well, they got fentanyl instead. We see a lot of cases where we interview um, people who purchase from a dealer and they say, oh, I thought we were buying Oxycontin or I thought we were buying Xanax. A lot of times, the purchasers don't know what they're getting and they could be getting a very lethal dose of a highly, highly lethal drug.
2: So it's kind of different, I think, you know, in talking about addiction that people like James got addicted to Oxycontin or Percocet and maybe through a doctor, maybe through an injury. And then now they're just legitimately trying to get that drug. But of course, they can't get it through traditional means, so they have to go this route. So it's almost like they're playing Russian roulette with these pills that they don't know. And if you're not getting it from a pharmacy, you don't know what is in that pill, correct?
1: Correct. And you have to remember, too, there's also, and this is just my opinion, um, there's also kind of a stigma To doing, you know, the traditional cocaine, meth, heroin, those kind of like hard drugs. um, There's a little more availability and maybe acceptance among crowds of people who think they're buying just prescription pills to use to get high and party on a Friday night, as opposed to I'm going to go downtown or I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to buy heroin or I'm going to buy meth, things that people like. No, that stuff's really, really bad for me. Right? There's there's less of a stigma when you think you're buying a non-hard drug.
2: Do you think that that's the reason for some of the teenage overdoses? Yes. I know we've had three recently.
1: Yes, uh, absolutely.
2: So, Eric, you started a podcast after James' death, and I think you've learned a lot about addiction along the way. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and what you've learned?
3: Yeah, you know, I was, uh, you know, just kind of talking about stigma here. You know, I was one of those people growing up. Um, when you think of addiction, you think it's the that person's, you know, fault. It's their issue. Um, and you know, wh- why can't they get their addiction under control? And, you know, there was no awareness. It was always just say no, right. That was, you know, growing up, that was the whole campaign. Just say no. So if someone's, you know, uh, an alcoholic or a drug user, it's their issue. Um, what, what we didn't know was, or I didn't know, you know, one why is this country in such a big drug epidemic why is you know why is it particularly uh, just america you know we're seeing massive amounts of overdose deaths and so for me i i just i wanted all sides i didn't want to um see the news you know just like a 5 minute clip or or you know read one book i wanted real life uh experiences and what was going on and and you know so th- thus far you know w- one of our th- uh, projects is um you know a podcast we've done about 45 so far and it ranges from talking to uh detectives here from the Portland Police Bureau to um people who who have had lifelong addictions um uh people you know family members who have lost a loved one who have dealt with addiction uh so- social service workers um and what they see and it's it's really opened my eyes um on on why people go through addiction and it's not just this black and white scenario of you know there there are again there are thousands, thousands of people who, who you know, may get an injury, right? And and their prescribed Oxycontin had no idea. But there's also this other where, you know, they had a rough childhood, they were abused, you know, they, you know, they were uh, mental health issues, everything going, you know, just not their way. And, and so when you take a drug, you know, say like a Xanax or, or, or an Oxycontin or anything like that, or Percocet, you know, you might get a a different feeling, you know, like they always talk about that, that warmth, that kind of, you know, bear hug it gives them. And, and that's what kind of leads them on. And so there, there's just so much more to, to what's going on than, than, than I realized. Um And so it's opened my eyes about addiction and, and what's, what's going on, what's working, what's not working. Um, and Um And we're starting to see this, this change, I would say in the country of, you know, you know, especially with this fentanyl epidemic happening right now and, and so many young people dying, you know, what's going on and why is this happening? And so now people I think are listening and, and are having those conversations and, and, you know, want to understand more about it because it's not just people who are, who are addicted. Um, it's, it's uh, just teenagers, who, you know, maybe 15 year old who just took a pill and died because of that. And they have no idea. So it, it's, it's affecting everyone now in this country.
2: Back to the podcast for a second. Uh, you called it Henry's uncle. Why don't yeah. you tell us why you called it that?
3: Yeah. So my, my nonprofit, uh, Henry's Uncle. Um, at the time, you know, James and I, when we grow, uh, grew up, especially in our uh, later year, later years, we're you know, I'm, I'm mid thirties now. But when he passed, he was 34, and, and uh, I was 31. But after I got married, you know, James always talked about wanting to, you know to be married kind of roughly the same and have you know kids at the same age, things like that. So we have you know cousins running around. You know, I, I saw James, and he he had a lot of fun with his with his friends' kids. You know, he got the chance to see them grow up and hang out with them as you know their toddlers, you know, and four and five year olds and things of that nature. And and I didn't get that experience. Um, you know, so Henry was James's first nephew, and uh, who is now f- uh, four. And and you know, at the time of James's death, he was just eight months, and it just. it it just broke my heart that there's, we don't have a photo with him and James. Um, and it just really hurts that, that, um, especially at this age, you know, they were like two peas in a pod, um, just roughhousing, laughing, having fun. Um, and so, you know, that name was, you know, Henry's uncle. So that's, that's how it came about. And, and to be able to honor James as an uncle and, and raise awareness in his name. So,
2: Chris, let's talk about the Narcotics and Organized Crime Unit. That's uh, where you're currently assigned. And it's diminished over the years, um, as some parts of the Portland Police Bureau have had to be downsized a little bit. What is your focus there?
1: So in the Narcotics and Organized Crime, a part of the Specialized Resources Division, we basically have three main focuses that we do. Uh, the first is that we respond to all overdose deaths in the city that we are notified about. And then we try and work back um, through the investigation to find out who the supplier of those drugs were that caused the overdose. We also do interdiction, which is where we try to take um, loads or supplies of drugs um, before they make it to the street when they're in transit. And then we'll also do what are called um, essentially like controlled buys. And then we'll go back and try and do a search warrant on the supplier's residence. I have five investigators that do that. Uh, We are supplemented by our federal partners over at the Homeland Security, but they also have other jobs as well, so they're not over here 100% of the time. Um, In 2020, we had uh, 87 notifications. In 2021, we had 132, 133, excuse me. And right now, for 2022, we're sitting at 42. Of those 42 we have this year so far, 20 of those, so just about 50%, are suspected or confirmed um, fentanyl.
2: And I know that the the patrol officers are have been doing a really good job.
1: Yeah, they're they're really helping us in regards to responding to an overdose, they're doing a really good job of preserving the crime scene and and looking for evidence and seeing if there's ways for us to do follow up before we arrive. And they're also doing a really good job of their own uh, interdicting the drugs on the street, um finding um you know bags of pills, you know um you know, discovering who the possessors are, who the dealers are, and then contacting us for us to do follow up later on. So the patrol officers have been doing an absolutely fabulous job and I would, and myself and the team would like to thank them. And I also want to point out that um we have partners with the Internal Revenue Service who help us out as well during these investigation. So I want to, want to thank them as well.
2: So Eric, you talk about this all the time, I know, and you, you've really dedicated yourself to building awareness. Now we need to talk about how do we get the word out? What can we do, especially for people that really think that they are buying something else and they're not, and that it just takes a, that it's like a grain that could kill
3: you. You know, I I think just having the conversation, um, you know, especially as a parent, if you have, uh, especially with teenagers right now, because that's where you're seeing the, the highest rate of overdose deaths year over year. Um, you know, teenagers from or young adults from 15 to 24. And that's just, it's, it's so sad. Um, and you see, you see the moms, and I, I think this is going to be a huge thing where I think the moms of America are going to drive this epidemic down because they are so fed up with what's happening. Um, and they are so sad and, and you see the heartbreak, but what they always say is it's much easier to have that difficult conversation um, about, you know, uh, uh, drugs and, and fentanyl than it is to sit there with, without their child. That's a very powerful statement. You know, have those, have those tough conversations or just a conversation just saying, you know, if you're, if you're at a party or if you're feeling down or depressed or you have anxiety, um, or, or whatever you're going through at the moment, um, you know, don't be peer pressured into it. Um, or if you are experiencing some mental health, um, you know, situation, like I mentioned, anxiety or depression, don't go searching on, on Snapchat or anything like that, or Facebook for a quick fix. Cause again, it's, it's most likely counterfeit and it could contain a lethal dose of fentanyl. Um, and just making awareness, just, just talking to every single person about it. I mean, anyone, you know, next week, um, I'll be down at U of O and we'll be handing out flyers just about fentanyl um, over, you know, the signs of an overdose, um, the good Samaritan laws, um, and, and handing out Narcan because, you know, especially at that young age when you're so impulsive and, and you think you're invincible and nothing's ever going to happen to me, it's very scary. And so just making awareness and just trying to, you know, meet people where they're at, going to schools, talking to high school students, you know, right there in the gym, um, you know I just talked to uh, freshmen and sophomores a few weeks ago at a local high school here and and I was showing them pictures of uh you know asking them to raise their hands what you think is fake um or a real prescription and you know they kind of got a laugh out of it you know when, when their answer was wrong and it's just like man that's you know I told them it's nothing to laugh about because you're dead at that age you know I, I never had to go through that you know it's i and afterwards, when you have five or six students who are the ages of 15, 16, where can I get Narcan at? I, I never would have even imagined in my life, even thinking about that. And, you know, one one uh, teenager, he did have awareness and saying, where can I get Narcan? Because I, I do feel like my my friends may be um, vulnerable to an overdose. And you're just, it just and it breaks my heart. You know, growing up, you know, it was, um, we didn't have to worry about such a potent drug. Being laced into so many different things. Um, and now you have college kids, you know, and, and, you know, uh, I was talking to a neighbor who has two college kids in, in, uh, a local university here in Oregon and, and he said, cocaine is just normal. It's just, it's just normal now. And, you know, you go to a party, it's just right there and, you know, and fentanyl's cut in cocaine. Um, you know, fake counterfeit Xanax, uh, you know, Percocets, Adderall, you know, Adderall, that was a very normal drug to take in in college. When I was, you know, 13 years ago, you'd see people, you know, especially during finals week popping those. It just, it's very scary to think how many fake pills are out there and, um, and these kids just, you know, uh, just think they're invincible and it will never
1: happen to them.
2: So Eric uh, mentioned Narcan. Chris, why don't you talk to us a little bit about our officers carrying Narcan now or what's going on?
1: So currently, um, we have only the officers at Central Precinct here who have been trained and are carrying Narcan or Naloxone. We are in the process of developing a training and program to roll that out to the entire police bureau to include the non-sworn should they want to carry it. Um, It's still in development, but we are hoping to get that out to everyone here in the very near future. So what Narcan does is it can reverse the effects of uh, of an overdose. Uh, we will be distributing it in a nasal spray where it's inserted into the nostril and sprayed up the nose. But I would really like to point out, as I said, just because you're administered Narcan, it does not mean you will survive. You are still gambling. You are still playing Russian roulette every time you take this drug.
2: So we don't want the message to be oh, let's have a party and let's take drugs and then we can just take Narcan and we can go back in time and you know have this experience, but I'll be okay, because that's not going to necessarily be guaranteed, correct? Correct. There was that campaign that said one pill can kill, but I think I saw an interview with you, Chris, where you were saying that a half a pill uh, killed somebody recently.
1: Yes, we've had a few cases recently where um, the person has OD'd on half a pill, uh, half a, a counterfeit M thirty pill.
3: That's, that's a great point. Um, you know, especially with fentanyl, you know, it's called the chocolate chip cookie dough effect, where um, the fentanyl powder does clump, and so when you do press the pill, that fentanyl where it may be at is is stuck there. So, so if you um, take a pill and say maybe you. you Want to test it? You know, use a fentanyl test strip, and you just you know um, take some residue. It's never, those aren't bulletproof, right? Those aren't going to be 100% accurate because, you know, the fentanyl might be in a little piece of this pill. And so you might split in half and one person can take half a pill and the other person can take half a pill. The other person might not get anything because there might be no drugs in it besides maybe some like, you know, acetaminophen or whatever they cut into it. And the other, other half of that pill might be all of the fentanyl, right? So it, it is, it's very Russian roulette the way this is all happening. Um, you know, half a pill. Whatever it may be, um, th- that fentanyl, that hot spot might be right there. So.
2: so, Eric, you mentioned Good Samaritan laws. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. You know, I, I think this is very important um, uh, for everyone, especially, um, you know, teenagers and young adults. Um, I've met t- too many parents, um, and there's two in particular who it just it breaks my heart. When you see someone overdosing, especially when, you know, at any time, but when you're young, um, as a teenager or a young adult, you might be scared by calling 911. You're going to get arrested, and many states have Good Samaritan laws where that protects you. Where you know, again, the the most critical thing is to call 911 because this is an emergency situation to get um, uh, emergency care there, and so they can try to re- you know uh, revive and reverse the overdose of that person. Um, there's uh, one person I'm wearing his uh, bracelet. His mother gave me. Isaiah Gonzalez um from, from Arizona. He was 15. He went to a mall with some friends, took a pill, and thought it was a Percocet. And uh he got a call or she got a call um uh, from a family friend saying there's there's pictures of your son circulating right uh through Snapchat right now, passed out. Didn't know. Um and this his friends waited an hour to call 911. And again, good Samaritan laws allow you to call 911, even if you have drugs there, to have the EMTs come down and help that person to get, you know, try to revive them there, get Narcan into them or take them to the hospital for, you know, for proper care, right? You know, same thing happened to another uh, 18-year-old. His mother said he was with his friends, took a pill, was overdosing. His friends were filming it apparently on Snapchat. Um, His mother got a call from from a family friend saying, hey, your son's, you know, uh, passed out right now, what's going on. I see it on, on Snapchat and she's the one who had to call 911. You know, that's just, and he on, un, un, you know, unfortunately died. And that's just those situations when I hear that break my heart. And that's why I think it's so important to know about these good Samaritan laws, because again, people should not be dying from this, especially our youth should not be dying from this. And it, it just, it breaks my heart. Um, that these parents and family members have to go through that, and so again, it's very important to know your Good Samaritan laws in your state. Or if someone is overdosing, call nine one one immediately so they can get proper care. So they can, you know, hopefully um, live a long, healthy life.
2: So as we talked about, the most important thing is really getting the word out, really educating people, and really getting the message across that this just one choice can be deadly. How do we do that, Chris, and 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 do you guys over at NOC, I and mean, what do you do for outreach?
1: So we partner with a group called Overdose Emergency Response. Uh, it's a group of local, um, county, federal, and state agencies, and we meet um, a few times a month and what we do, what our part is in NOC and the Portland Police Bureau is we share with them the emerging trends that we're seeing in terms of what uh, drugs we're finding, um, what they look like, um, where we're finding them. We can't go into too much detail because the investigations may still be ongoing, but what that does is that gives them a framework on how to go on their end and do education and outreach as well. So that way we try to keep them up to date on what we're seeing on the most emerging trends regarding these drugs, and that way they can share that with the public and hopefully educate them on what to avoid. In addition to outreach, I also can't stress the importance of the work we're doing to try to interdict these drugs before they even make it to the street. It's really important that we catch these, and that way we can work our way back to the higher-level suppliers and then start taking off larger quantities of this drug before the flood of drugs on the street gets too great.
2: And Eric, I want to give you one last time to talk a little bit about your nonprofit and how people can reach you if um, they're interested in participating or wanting more information.
3: Sure. Yes. Um, uh, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, again, our, our mission at Henry's Uncle is to, you know, raise awareness about illicit fentanyl and to help end the, the uh, stigma of addiction. Um, you can find us at uh, henrysuncle.org. Um, we're also on uh, social media, uh, Facebook at Forever Henry's Uncle, Instagram, henrys underscore uncle. And, you know, again, raising awareness uh, about illicit fentanyl and, and trying to spread the word to help end the stigma of addiction.
2: Thank you both for being here today.
0: Thanks for listening to The Talking Beat. Do you have a question for us? You can call and leave a message on our dedicated voicemail line at 971-339-8868 or send us an email to talkingbeat at portlandoregon.gov. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. More episodes can be found at our website, portlandoregon.gov slash police slash podcast.